0: Hi, this is Esther, and you're listening to the Sometimes Always Book Club. We are reading Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. This is Chapter 4, Watchmaker. sitting here with Bob. Hello. And Ann. Hello. Zach.
1: Hey. Andrew. It's your boy.
2: And Katie. Hello. How is everybody? Great. So well, you, we weren't prepared for that. <laughs>
1: how is everyone? How, is everyone? Uh, <laughs> how am I actually <laughs>
0: You don't have to come up with anything snappy for that. I've been thinking about that. How am I?
3: (laughs) Please don't put me in another existential crisis. I'm sorry. I'm already
1: going (laughs) through one. I feel
3: like this chapter is enough of an existential crisis for
2: everybody.
1: That Um, was the preparatory uh, (laughs)
0: statement there. So in this chapter, uh, we learn how John Osterman went from a watchmaker's son to Dr. Manhattan. We learn in this chapter how he experiences time all at once. The opening image is of a picture laying in the red sand of Mars showing a man and woman sharing a container of popcorn.
2: I'd say it's pink, but yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. yes. The pinks... It's the
1: red planet. <laughs> it's the
0: pink planet. I thought planet. about that a lot while reading this chapter. <laughs> John stands on the surface of Mars and contemplates the photograph. It was taken in 1959 in New Jersey at Palisades Amusement Park. He remembers his youth in Brooklyn and how he wanted to become a watchmaker like his father. His father, on the other hand, saw that the world was changing and wanted him to look into physics because of the atomic bomb and Einstein's contributions to the world. I will say that one of the clunkiest lines in the entire book is in this chapter. John, as a teenager, working on the the watch, and his dad comes in and, and says, where are you? And he says in here practicing on your old pocket watch before it's time for school it's just a weirdly clunky line for me and I, the rest of the dialogue there's only a few lines that stand out for me but for some reason that just strikes me as such um ridiculous like, exposition he seems
1: like such a turbo nerd in that like- absolutely <laughs> <That's laughs>
2: Father, no. <laughs>
1: he also looks like he's thirty. I don't know what <laughs> school he's going to. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm like, he's an is old he Is he?
3: What? He's uh, getting
1: his PhD in watchmaking.
4: <laughs> I've always felt that way about like older medium, like with yeah. te- with television or with movies where they would have teenagers played by. <laughs> 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 look, this is this is drawn. Yeah, exactly. like I feel like people were just
3: older then. Yeah, <laughs> looked older. You had to grow up fast.
4: They were all Rizzos from Greece. <laughs> Sixteen going on
0: 46. So he's working on the watch, and his father decides that he's done with watchmaking and throws it off the fire escape um, despite John's protests. Father, no.
1: Yes, (laughs) father, no. Father, no. But it's also a I I think a brilliant line there when uh, he's about to throw it, the, the watch down, the pieces of the watch, and he says, Professor Einstein says that time differs from place to place. Can you imagine? Of course, foreshadowing where John will be, but tying also his entire timeline loop back together from the beginning. I I found a lot of, like,
5: references to fate and, like, kind of, especially in this, and just kind of, like, is there fate? Like, does John see this as the machinations of, like, the universe? Like, and it's, like, the cogs are falling and it's, like, falling into place kind of thing. And I was, like, oh, maybe he does. And then, like, later on in a later chapter, I kind of saw some more of that and was, like, hmm...
0: Yeah, yeah, I think fate and destiny and all that play a huge part in this chapter and in yeah. just his story in general. Fast forward, John graduates from Princeton and starts working at Gila Flats where he meets Wally Weaver and Janie Slater, which are two really great comic book names. Yeah. <laughs> Wally Weaver in particular, it's that uh, alliteration.
1: That's, well, and that's the fantastic sidekick name.
0: Wally yeah, Weaver.
1: <laughs> I was thinking of like Superman with... Uh... Bucky, Jimmy,
0: something? Oh, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's
4: not the same alliteration. Yeah. Just that kind of like Wally Weaver, kid sounding.
1: Yeah, exactly. Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that nice kid next door kind of situation. But he's
0: like, he and Janie begin a relationship. They are the couple in the photograph he takes with him to Mars later. Uh, we learn that they begin a relationship and they spend the day at the Palisades amusement park and have their picture taken before they're a couple, but someone mistakenly thinks they're a couple. In August of 1959, John is accidentally locked in the intrinsic field chamber and is not able to get out due to the automatic lock. The chamber will stay locked until the experiment is complete. At first he doesn't realize the seriousness of it and then he realizes that that everything else that's been in here has been disintegrated. He panics and begs to be let out but the doors can't be opened and Janie leaves saying she can't bear to watch even though John begs her to stay, which I think is a really important moment in his history and kind of who he becomes it's maybe his last real moment of true vulnerability and fear and uh
2: i thought there was kind of like a the fly thing going on too because he's in there with the watch and then he gets to see time all differently yeah. Ooh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ooh, i never thought about that i love that
0: the test rips him apart and there's nothing left of him to bury Three months later, people see strange things at the test site, such as a circulatory system walking in the kitchen and a partially muscled skeleton screaming at the perimeter fence, which for some reason is hilarious to me. <laughs> just because it says it screams and disappears.
1: <laughs> I love how he's Let holding that, that arm in the air, too. It's just, ah, the agony of life.
0: <laughs> it looks like he's
4: angry that he has once again been thwarted by
1: He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you, He-Man.
0: <laughs> Finally, John reappears as Dr. Manhattan in the cafeteria. He reunites with Janie and they resume their relationship, even though it's different than before. She's kind of afraid of him and unsure of how to talk to him. He tells her that he will always want her, even though he knows at the time that that is not true. He can see the end of their relationship years in the future, which is the first mention so far of the way he perceives time and that he knows you can see all moments of a relationship all the time.
5: Mm-hmm. Like, why does he do that? Like, why does he stay with them?
1: If he can see the past, present. And future
0: I know he campaign. talks about it at some point, where he basically says he can't change the future.
1: Yeah. Because he doesn't see it linearly. So, l- lin- yeah. Linearally. Lin- literally. Literally. Yeah. In a line. Um, in a line. <laughs> no, he doesn't see it that way so he can't change it because it's yeah. already happening. Yeah. You know, this this moment, that moment, the one before it are all happening instantaneously yeah. for him so he can't. He, the, he literally is powerless to do that. It's yeah. all happening at once. Again, kind of fate-like. Right. You know? it's just mm-hmm. like, well, it's gonna happen. Like, it's gotta. I also think it's brilliant on the part of, of more. I I mean that—that that is just also one of the most difficult things I think about the book for him to flesh out a character with that kind of, of i don't even say power, but uh, that characteristic in him is just there. There's so many potential pitfalls Moore could have set for himself in creating a character like that with all the knowledge and capabilities he has, but with that particular limitation as well.
5: Yeah, and it, it kind of like closes that loophole of like, well, why doesn't he fix it? But um, it's like, be,
1: because be, yes. yeah. it's already happening. Yeah, it's you already happening. see it, It's just yeah.
0: predetermined as far as he's yeah. concerned.
1: So is he the greatest power? Or is he the greatest puppet? Exactly. And there's a line for that. Yes. Yes. There
0: the government wants to use him as a symbol of the country's power and they try to give him a costume and a symbol. He decides on the hydrogen atom uh, burned into his own forehead (laughs) over the vague atomic symbol that they chose for him. The marketing people name him Dr. Manhattan after the Manhattan Project. And I just want to say as silly as it sounds you know and there's the the panel of him in the suit like looking at the helmet like what is this? Um, I find it sort of believable too that uh, if something like that were to happen in our world that our government would try to seize that maybe and make it into a symbol or turn it into I mean look at oh, you absolutely. know the yeah. Space yeah. Force and all that Captain stuff Captain America too so it's yeah. kind of thing exactly yeah. and and I, I find that believable it you had our
1: to our go time. with Space Force <laughs> did they come uh, out with the
2: costumes yet?
1: <laughs> oh yes I need oh yes they're Do uniforms they look?
2: You thank you <laughs> 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 they
1: look and they're like Voltron costumes and they're fucking camouflage
2: <laughs> what?
1: yes with
2: like stars on no. no, like actual camouflage. Like in
1: case you run across some space trees. <laughs> it's
2: for when they terraform Mars. Okay? Oh, fair oh, enough. Sure. Sure. Although <laughs> space,
0: like space camouflage, is just like dark blue with white dots. Would be pretty cool. <laughs> It'd
5: be kind of rad. That's called
3: galaxy print,
2: and yeah, that is it. over.
0: This is the <laughs> last season. <laughs> the older generation of superheroes are threatened and suspicious of this new hero with real powers. John meets Hollis Mason. We read Hollis's account of this in one of the memoir excerpts. Hollis tells him he's going to repair cars in his retirement. John tells him the future is electric cars and that he can synthesize lithium for the batteries now, so older cars will become obsolete. And the first time I read that, I thought, wow, John is a dick. And then when I read it again, I realized... John doesn't realize he's being a dick. He's yeah. just, yeah. he's kind of like just, well, you know, this is going to be great for everybody, yeah. whereas Hollis sees it as obviously it's very symbolic also.
1: Sure. You've destroyed me twice now. You've yeah. taken away my superherodom and my mechanic dream. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: And it's also kind of neutral. Like, hey, here's a heads up. You're not going to, yeah, don't bank yeah. on this. <laughs> like... <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: I feel like in some way it kind of calls back to a line that happened when he was still alive and, uh, like, looking in the lab at the first time uh who is it wally he says uh gee that must have been something you know i heard and he's talking about einstein i believe in this instance uh that he was crazy a guy like that a genius he couldn't even figure out women Uh, oh yes like that's a through line with dr manhattan but you can you know extrapolate that to people in general instead of specifically women and you know that kind of social misstep we'll just say with yes. uh, with name Hollis. Hollis thank you uh, you know I feel like that's emblematic of that and yes. uh, you know you see multiple instances of and that he absolutely does
0: not have the greatest people skills he's mm-hmm. just like completely <laughs> just literal logical whatever he doesn't seem to have much of a sense of humor or a sense of irony or anything <laughs> he's just like yeah well cars are on the way out good luck <laughs> John F. Kennedy is assassinated and John explains to Janie that he knew it would happen but was unable to stop it due to the fact that he experiences time all at once. To him, it's already happening. He proves this by telling her what's about to happen and she is angry until it all comes true. So, yes, he is experiencing all at the same time and is unable to control what's going to happen. He just basically can deal with it, brace himself for what he knows is going to happen. I'm not sure it's... uh, It's a fascinating concept. It's like the the biggest
4: mind fuck to me. Like, because most times when you have instances of people knowing the future and maybe either wanting to avoid it or change it, they would, by talking about it, you know, you change it. But this case, that doesn't even happen. Mm -mm. He's like, you are going to get mad at me. This is going to upset you. What's going to happen? This thing with the... Not and she's mad at him,
0: and he's like, yeah, and then we're going to have sex.
4: <laughs> and then it's still <laughs> then happens. Like, even knowing that,
5: it doesn't change the outcome for her.
0: Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: yeah. And it, it's, like, super ironic that his dad's like, time isn't going to matter. And it's like, <laughs> now he experiences time, past, present, and future. Like, like he gets to wholeheartedly experience time, and it's like, now this is his reality. And it's, you don't need a watch. And it's like, no, now he literally doesn't, because who the fuck cares like i could almost travel through time and
1: exist in it well and this chapter is a brilliant uh, depiction of that too where you've mm-hmm. got some portions where scene for scene or frame for frame is a different time and it's pretty brilliant how that all comes together to give you the slightest semblance of how he sees things yeah
2: mm-hmm. um a small detail i just noticed the earrings he gave her matches his yeah. forehead
1: if you haven't seen the hbo thing there's a call out to that as cool. well
2: In 1964, the
0: meetup of the group that would have been known as the Crime Busters takes place. John meets Lori for the first time. He's still with Janie, who is aging while he isn't, and Lori is 16. And I do want to touch on this, because this is like the one thing that bothered me, but then Bob and I were discussing it one day, and he pointed something out to me that, I mean, doesn't really justify it, but at the same time, kind of explains it. Lori's a kid when he meets her, and she's obviously way too young to be with him, because he's eternally 30. But... She's also every age she will ever be in their relationship. We know they stay together for almost 20 years, so she's both 16 and 35 and everything in between when they first meet. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm sensitive to young girls with older guys... But at the same time, maybe it's not right, but it does make more sense in that way when you look at it as okay, so she's everything she'll ever be when he meets her.
1: But I also think Moore put that in there specifically to be shocking in order to drive home the point of that whole timeline happening at once for him. It would be one thing just to, to say it or illustrate it in a minor way, to bring it out in such a visceral way to a way that's definitely going to get a reaction to trying to drive home how he experiences that.
0: John knows that he will end up with Lori eventually, and Janie sees the way he looks at her and gets very upset. She ends up leaving him when he falls in love with Lori, and John and Lori become an official couple. John's father dies believing his son died in the intrinsic field chamber. John never reached out to him or contacted him in any way, so he allowed his father to believe that he was dead. Uh, After his death, John reveals his true name to the public. President Nixon asks John to intervene in Vietnam, and Wally Weaver dies of cancer.
1: Because of that?
0: Yes. (laughs) Damn you, Nixon. Wally Weaver dies of cancer for reasons we'll learn about later. So I think it's
3: interesting that he doesn't reach out to his dad. He doesn't seem to have any emotional connection to him anymore. And yet somehow he's able to at least try to connect with Janie and Lori, but like nobody else.
0: Yeah, they seem to be his only two true connection to humanity. I don't know, the whole story about Janie really makes me kind of sad because she ends up just bitter and angry and... Just shitty and just... Yeah. And dying. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. So, that too.
0: Um, I don't know. So her story to me is, is extremely tragic. Lori's is also, but less so. Well,
1: I wonder, too, if, if it's a... You know, going back to Janie was his connection to the past. So he came back and he tried to pick up where he left off, but the disillusion of their, their relationship is proof to him that he has changed you know yeah. he, he tried to cling to the past he tried to go back but he's not the same he can't be the same it'll never be the same and that just doesn't work
2: i don't think their relationship was that strong to begin with though i mean she wouldn't watch him die <laughs> you know that frustrated me so bad yeah even though like he was begging her and so i think that was kind of the first sign that their relationship wouldn't actually work out the girls do seem to be like his connection to humanity but it's a very weak connection at that
4: thus far everyone has been talking about how these women have been like a grounding force for uh for john but while i was reading this i always just kind of had this vibe that it's not that he's being in these relationships because he really wants to i always felt like it just kind of came off as he sees himself doing it so he just continues to do it that maybe he doesn't have any real emotional investment but that it's like now i'm with lori and yeah. he just does that not because he Wants her, but because he's seen himself already starting to do that.
0: I feel like he did love them both, though, in some way. Okay,
5: yeah,
0: some way. Maybe mm-hmm. not in the mm-hmm. normal person way, but I do feel that there is something there that's beyond just going through the motions. Yeah. Because
5: he talks about having that passion for them, you know, and he has that like love for them, and it, it's more like he uses them as like a grounding rod, almost, mm-hmm. to just humanity. And then once he loses. It's just that's why he exiles himself. It's like, well, I don't have this and I won't ever have it again. So deuces. Well, he does say something about (laughs) lying to to Janie because Mm -hmm. he said, I will
4: always want you and I'll always want to be with you. But in that moment, he knew from his future that he was going to be with someone else. So when he expresses things like that, I guess for me, I'm just always kind of skeptical that again, it's like he's heard himself say these things. So I think he's just saying them because he knows he's supposed to say them.
5: I feel like it's still kind of like he wants to feel that human kind ofness to mm-hmm. it, even though he is still this like stoic, generic guy, just like like I only f- feel no emotions, but it's like, but with this close, intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. I still have to come off a little personable, right?
0: I wonder if also it's like when I was a kid, I would watch like the same movies over and over and over again. I think we all did that. And there were certain movies that had really emotional things in them. And when I was a kid, I would watch it. And like in the back of my mind, I was always like, well, maybe this time it'll end different. Maybe this time it'll be happy, even though I'd seen it 50 times. And I wonder, maybe he does mean it in that moment. And Maybe is even though he knows, because he's experiencing the future already, that, you know, it isn't true. But maybe at the same time, he's like, well, maybe this time. And I feel like he wants to please people to a certain extent. Absolutely. Like, he yeah. doesn't want to deal with people being upset. So I think he means it more almost for them. Well, he says the line about later on about being a puppet. We'll get to that when we get to that chapter. But... I think it's more. I mean, it's more than just like a cool thing that he says. It's more than a soundbite. I think it's absolutely true because so much of his behavior with women and with just other people in general is him playing a part or being a person or being the thing that they want him to be.
2: He's got to go out and find himself, and just <laughs> he does. He yeah. does. He's, he's a, not terribly strong of character yeah, at so times. Take a trip I kind to of Europe saw. And, you know, saw really and yeah, <laughs> I kind of saw his relationship to Laurie as. Kind of trying to understand humanity too. He does ask questions like he wants to understand her. But an extension of that is keeping her around to be like, okay, what are the humans up to? <laughs> <Or> what <laughs> if I do this? What do you do? <laughs> MTV. So John and Edward Blake work together in
0: Vietnam.
1: Because, <laughs> work together is an interesting well, way to put that. <laughs> do put fight together. <laughs>
0: Basically, Doctor Manhattan in this world's timeline is the reason that the U.S. wins. Vietnam. Um, Spoiler alert, we did not in real life. Not in real life. In this world, we won Vietnam because of Dr. Manhattan. And many Viet Cong surrender to him personally and request to. And the quote is, their terror of me balanced by an almost religious awe. Which I think is kind of awesome because I can see that happening
2: in real life with this godlike being... I still got some beef with the U.S., but I don't want any beef with you. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I feel like uh, the surrender would have happened faster if he had just been naked like he is yeah. traditionally, and they see him in this giant form, and there's this giant guy. If you just see this building of a man with his giant dong coming at you. You're surrender. my god now, please, blue penis man. This guy gives no fucks. We are done. <laughs> surrender.
3: When I think we mentioned it, like his his slowly wearing less and less clothing is him like kind of getting further and further from the human that yeah. he once was. Yeah,
0: because he goes from like a full suit and then he goes to kind of a unitard look and then he goes to a little bathing suit look. Then he has the little M underwear that's a thong and then he eventually is just naked. But yeah, I think that's just him pulling completely away from humanity because I mean, who needs clothes really when you're... Yeah, a... just like women's <clears throat> bathing
4: suits. The original Silk Spectre had a dirty book essentially yes. made about here. There has to be a Dr. Manhattan like <laughs> calendar Tijuana out there, Bible. right? Tijuana <laughs> Bible. I was going to say,
0: you could probably, um, I'm sure you could Google, what is that, Rule 37? Rule 34. Or 34, yes. thank you. You could Google some Rule 34 Dr. Manhattan and find. I bet you could find some stuff that's just as good. You can <laughs> almost hear
1: the listeners like clacking away at the keyboard right now. <laughs> I'm actually on my phone right now.
0: And, <laughs> I mean. Dr. Manhattan Rule 34, I guarantee you. I found, I'm sorry, I'll go off topic here Lord one time. I, I was. you <laughs> get <laughs> looking at some Rule Thirty Four stuff, just like randomly with a friend of mine, we looking up, trying to see like how far we could push this, and like if we could find something that didn't exist. And we found Mash Rule Thirty Four. <laughs> it was Klinger and Colonel Potter. Do
5: you do you know <laughs> not what,
0: Colonel Potter?
5: Do you know what the actual like rule of Rule Thirty Four is? No,
0: isn't it like if there's if you can think of it, there's porn of it. Yeah, or, yeah if yeah. it exists, there's yes. porn
5: of it, and. It, i it, the rule holds completely true it as does. far as I'm aware. Look
0: up that clinger, well, Colonel more Potter. so every day. Fiction.
5: <laughs> no, I will. Not. My
3: favorite is a uh, Founding Fathers <laughs> <laughs> slash fanfiction. I am about
5: dude. Oh my god! I know. Yep, I see it come across my Twitter every so every so often, and I always just have the same instinctual just awful cringe and i'm like we have fallen so far what is this humanity we have suffered
4: i feel like this whole sidetrack is my fault so i take full responsibility
1: (laughs) i do have a point when we get back
0: okay i'm sorry i'm I'm back now
1: are we back so i I have an interesting thing and i was digging through uh, during the rest of that conversation because i remembered something so this scene with the enormous um dr manhattan blowing up vietnam I find it interesting, and I wonder if Moore intended this. I don't know his age, but I would imagine he was affected um, by Vietnam. I wondered if, if the size of Dr. Manhattan, particularly this picture, if he's emphasizing, A, we would have needed, the U.S. would have needed something this massive to win that war because it was unwinnable from the beginning. Then I flip back, and if you go back to the scene with the uh, the bar scene in Vietnam when, when uh, the comedian shoots the woman, the comedian says something that, that caught me off guard he says i mean if we'd lost this war i don't know i think it might have driven us a little crazy as a country you know and it did (laughs) and it did and so you take that and then like i said apply it to this you know because dr manhattan didn't just go in there as himself or in what in the scene when he was in mullick's underground bar he was just himself blowing up people's heads but now he has to be the size of a skyscraper to win Vietnam. So I, I'm wondering if there's some, some symbolism there from Moore's political point of view. Wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> guessing <laughs> upon, like,
5: just having read this book before and, like, V for Vendetta.
2: Let's get him
0: on the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so around this time, the president, Richard Nixon, proposes a constitutional amendment allowing for more than two terms, which is... Fucking terrifying concept. Yeah, <laughs> totally Nixon close. thing
4: to do, though. <laughs> that, that is on brand for Nixon.
0: Yes. Ozymandias retires from the superhero life and goes to his Antarctic retreat. John and Laurie visit him and his genetically altered links. I do think that Karnak looks pretty awesome. Just the look of it with its cool biodome. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. it's and awesome. That's and in fair. 1977, there is a police strike due to the presence of costumed adventurers. There are riots in the streets, and Laurie and John try to keep order. John tells people to return to their homes, and they heckle and ignore him, so he teleports everyone away except for himself and Lori.
1: Which is also another frame that I fucking love with the White House behind him there and him floating there and her saying, Jesus. Shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, wow. Okay. Boom. Yeah.
0: Vigilantism is made illegal due to the Keen Act, and only the comedian and Dr. Manhattan remain active, but they both work for the government. Blake assists in the Iran hostage situation, and the population accepts him for the most part. Dr. Manhattan is exempt as well because he is seen as the country's main defense. Lori is forced to retire also because of the Keene Act, but isn't really bothered since she never really wanted to be a vigilante in the first place. There are times in the story where she seems like she almost regrets not having that life anymore, but other parts where she resents it. So I wonder if she enjoyed the life, but resented the fact that she had to kind of follow in her mother's footsteps, maybe enjoyed it or would have enjoyed it more if it had been her own choice and her own image.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's uh, pretty universal. I think that's a, uh, a common characteristic of, of people. You, you know, she you does can... get very
0: nostalgic about it a couple times when she talks to Dan in particular, but there are other points where she just is like done with it.
3: Well, I think she and I think anyone who's getting into like a vigilante role wants that like power to do change and to fight the bad guys. So I think she likes that part, but yeah, I don't think she likes being sexualized and it not being her choice to do it. That it was something her mother pushed her into, even if she does enjoy that power that she gets from
1: it. I gotta, lo- I gotta say, I love that line. I think anyone who's getting into vigilanteism,
0: <laughs> I, <don't... laughs> I do. Sally reminds me of like a beauty pageant mom in some ways. Oh Absolutely gosh. pushing Lori into this, making her work out when she's you know fourteen. She's and... a total path. Is Lori just just the watchman honey boo-boo or (laughs) (laughs) night owl 2 aka dan retires also from crime fighting but never makes his name public the only active vigilante besides the comedian and dr manhattan is rorschach he refuses to reveal his identity or retire and leaves a dead rapist outside police headquarters with a note attached that says never fuck yeah in 1981 laurie and john move into the rockefeller military research center in new york John is okay with it, but Laurie feels as though they've lost their privacy. The world has changed since Dr. Manhattan's creation. Electric cars are the norm, and there are airships. John relives the news of Blake's death, the funeral, being with Laurie in 1985 and 1966, and being with Janie in 1959, and Laurie leaving him. He experiences all these things at once, and we are shown again that time moves differently for him than for us. It's almost poetic in some ways, the way it's written, with going back and forth between the different time periods and the different locations. And I just think it's really beautifully written. And I love the art in this chapter. I think it looks fantastic, and it just has this great color contrast.
5: It has like this nice, like, ebb and flow to it, Mm -hmm. you know, just like kind of this, like,
1: in and out, yeah. This chapter, I think, illustrates what I was saying in uh, our opening of what won me over is I never realized before I read this how the illustration could actually enhance the story because this chapter told as just a narrative. Would not been nearly as powerful because oh, yeah. you could not get most readers to visualize and and time hop like this so seamlessly and and prove this point of the how he uh, incorporates time and how he sees time that would not have worked in a, in a normal book. For me personally, again I started
5: reading up until this read through. I absolutely hated this part because it was really? yeah because it was so slow. I'm like, man, why aren't they punching dudes? I just want to <laughs> see more titties, and it's like, and now that I'm like sitting in like, <laughs> dude, a man sometimes just want to see some titties in a comic <laughs> book fan. Uh, but it, it took this read through to just be like. Oh, this is wonderful. This is so good for me to it does it like dictates again the ebb and flow of time so well and it shows all these things you could never do in a regular novel and it shows the power of what a comic book can be and that you really can't get anywhere else. If I were to be kind of frank honest here, it's probably the perfect comic book. Like this this section here is probably one of the most perfect examples I can show to anybody be like, this is why comics are, are a very important and not just for kids kind of medium that you can use.
0: I feel like this is... Watchmen in general to me is just sort of the gold standard of comic and graphic novel storytelling. And I haven't read a lot, but this to me is just... The story, it's so solid. The storytelling, the art, and just the way it comes together, the collaboration between the two of them is just... It's pretty perfect. This chapter also gives one of the most quoted lines, um, also one of the most misquoted lines of the <laughs> entire book. Nerd. Which, <laughs> which is, I am tired of this world, these people. I'm tired of being caught in the tangle of their lives, which pops up online quite often as in with the wrong art and the wrong quote. But whatever, it's still a really good quote, and I really like it. So, on Mars, John builds a massive structure while contemplating whether or not he's actually creating it or simply going through predetermined motions. Perhaps the world is not made, perhaps nothing is made, perhaps it simply is, has been, will always be there.
1: This is the one point I have an issue with though, because that building is fucking stupid. None of that <laughs> makes any dumb. sense. He doesn't I mean, yeah. need a
2: bathroom. It. Like, he doesn't need
1: <laughs> structural
2: <laughs> things that you're looking for. What are
1: <laughs> these giant spear things? And then he's got they a cup at the top. They cool.
2: That's the point.
1: Oh, okay. oh the point. <laughs> uh.
3: No, see, I when I first read this chapter, I was like, yeah, what is that thing supposed to be? But then when later in Let's another watch. chapter, yeah, you can really see what it's supposed to be. And yeah. I think it, in that case, it looks completely badass.
1: Fair enough. Pointless, but fair enough. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, he's made... not pointless. He was a watchmaker for Christ's day. Yeah, it's there's, full there's, of points. Yeah, that's it.
1: <laughs> at, at all turns, I'm shot down.
2: <laughs>
4: Do we think this is better or let it go where Elsa makes the. It's
0: a similar scene. It really.
4: is a similar scene. I just want to picture him just kind of humming something to himself while he's doing this.
5: Did Frozen rip off the watchman? <laughs> Find out next.
0: <laughs> he sees the picture in the sand and the cogs and the watch parts flying off the fire escape when his father threw the watch out the window, but it's too late, always has been, always will be, too late. Is that
3: the like lyric?
0: It sounds like it. <laughs> I think it's a great quote, but I think that that quote also illustrates very well the idea that he can't change anything because it's too late. It's yeah. always too late. Chapter ends with a quote from Albert Einstein. The release of Adam Power has changed everything except our way of thinking. The solution to this problem lies in the heart of mankind. If only I had known I should have become a watchmaker. I really love this chapter because so often when I read
3: novels, I get so frustrated. I have all these questions and nobody answers them. And sometimes a book will end and there's still all these questions that are unanswered. But I feel like everything I wanted to know about Dr. Manhattan is flushed out and is done so well in this chapter. Um, and that it gave me so much satisfaction. I
0: love, this is one <laughs> of my favorite, cha- I think it's my favorite chapter. There's a few chapters that I absolutely love, but this is my favorite it's chapter. It's my
5: favorite as well. That's, it's fantastic. That's funny because like, I actually had like even more questions after this. I was like, oh, "Like, is it fate that he became Doctor Manhattan? Like, it, like is it chaos? Like, who knows? Like, is he the perfect foil to the comedian? Is it Rorschach? Like, who knows?" And so I'm like, now I need to read more. But from a character level,
0: yeah, like, yeah, you're I'm right. Just so it's just such a brilliant exploration of his mind and his existence in general, and his. I feel like his origin is sort of heartbreaking because it wasn't anything that. He's not like somebody who, ever, who chose to be a superhero or chose to be a vigilante. He's just, a person who just happened to be in a terrible accident. Just and thrust into it. Yeah, yeah, and then just kind of continued his life being what other people wanted him to be, which was kind of did the crime fighter thing, did the government thing, and then, then just hung out in his uh, research center yeah. <laughs> doing... I don't even know what kind of experiments he's doing, but he does a lot of experiments.
1: <laughs> it
5: feels kind of cool to see him kind of like break free of all that though when he goes up to Mars mm-hmm. which just like finally I get my freedom like finally I can build this weird glass structure and <laughs> chill out naked on Mars and reminisce about time and just be away from human beings and just like finally do what I want to do very liberating
3: I feel like that's the first time we see him kind of making a choice on his own, even if he doesn't see it as a choice Mm -hmm. because he sees it as predetermined. But it is like the first thing that we see him do that's really more for himself because he goes in to Princeton because his dad wants him to. And it just kind of follows that pattern.
2: Yeah. I like how it shows how he thinks and how kind of future and past are memories to him. He sees the future as a memory and that's kind of why he can't change it. It's already happened it's in the past but it's in the future which is also sort of tragic
0: when you think about it in that way because he sees the bad things that are going to happen he sees the end of the relationship he sees the assassination all of these things and yet he's powerless to do anything about it because it's already it's predetermined and as far as he knows i guess
4: that's what i was going to say is that i feel like that's an example of his mindset maybe not necessarily emblematic of capital t truth yeah because again like kind of getting back to What the comedian said despite the fact that he was clearly in the wrong when he was the one that (laughs) killed the woman Uh, yes (laughs) i will not i will not say that he is blame free in that instance by any means but he did raise a point in that you know dr manhattan may have seen that this outcome was going to happen but does that necessarily prevent him from at least attempting to stop it from happening it's one of those weird yeah Things that, like, like, he he experiences past, future, present in a particular way that will make him think that it's fate. But just knowing that something is going to happen this particular way, I don't know if that necessarily means that that was always going to happen, or you just see the outcome of the choice that you have made, and not even thinking about the fact that you could have made a different choice. Or
2: does he see all of the other choices, and that is the best option. (laughs) multiverse theory. Yeah, yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, then I think you're really bringing in more more of the the potential choice there. And I don't I don't think that's where Moore is going with this. I I do right. feel
2: Well, yeah. that's but my
1: also, small little take yeah. on this <laughs> thing about, You can uh, leave now. <laughs> <King>. <laughs> I'm just saying that I would love to see that, but I think that's where Moore would have opened himself up to too many possibilities, mm-hmm. yeah. too many errors, too many overlapping, you know, chances that would have just tripped him up and it's again where we have that closed loop concept. I I but think. he
2: doesn't make mistakes, though, so there it's back closed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I he does he'd... pick the best option. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. Or we're only
1: reading <laughs> about the well, one okay. timeline. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Plus, we don't really know what goes on dur- in his head during those moments. Like We can see how he reacts, but and he knows it's going to happen and that he can't change it, but it doesn't really tell us how he feels about it or, like, what he's thinking in his head. Yeah, we yeah. really don't get a lot
0: about his emotions at all. We, He's very logical. We don't see... I mean, there's a couple times where we see him... Panic? Yeah, nervous <laughs> mm-hmm. or upset, but not. you don't really get what he's truly feeling about things. We're more just, like, about his thoughts rather than his emotions. The interlude is an excerpt from... Dr. Manhattan, Superpowers and the Superpowers by Professor Milton Glass. And it talks about the reaction of the world to the creation of Dr. Manhattan. It says, when he was revealed to the world, the phrase, the Superman exists and he is American, was repeated over and over. The author states that he did not say that, however. What he actually said was, God exists and he is American, which is very different and is kind of an awesome quote. Um, The piece goes on to discuss the building tensions between the USSR, it's the 80s, and the USA. Dr. Manhattan's presence as an American figure deters the Russians somewhat, but even if he could stop most of the missiles fired at us, he would not be able to stop them all. It also suggests that Russia has not and will not forget the toll that the previous wars took on their country and would stop at nothing to prevent such a thing from happening again. The world has changed completely since Dr. Manhattan came to be, and the author speculates that the American government is getting too comfortable with Dr. Manhattan's protection and the feelings of invincibility will lead to their downfall. And it ends on the quote, we are all of us living in the shadow of Manhattan.
1: I think this is a... Uh another reflection of kind of what i was talking about with the vietnam issue of course going back to you know now or actually jumping forward now to the cold war and the things i found interesting about that is the brilliance of moore's political views there and, and, and historical emphasis on this the fact that a being like this would not absolutely would not bring peace just by naming in manhattan following through the whole atomic bomb nuclear arms race is exactly what we went through is exactly what we're going through exactly mm-hmm. what we're dealing with the whole idea of if they've got that weapon we have to have more how and many
2: people did they send into one of those machines
1: to but it, it's the whole concept of, of uh, assured mutual destruction mm-hmm. yeah you know and, that, and that's what he's pointing at yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Dude, deterrence is only goes so far the, the reference he makes to in here about World War II, about how how they held off Germany with the loss of, of, you know, however many lives they were willing to throw everybody at them, and that's eventually what stopped, so they see the same way with, with the bombs. The missiles will throw as many at you until there's nothing left, because that's, that's going to be our final stand. And I love the line, too, about how everything was changed when he says his very existence has deformed the lives, deformed the lives of every living creature on the face of this planet. The idea that not only has it put it kind of in more danger, but it's changed the entire concept of humanity and existence and time and everything. Reality, really. Just him being, just him existing creates that
0: Well, I won't get into spoilers right now until we actually get to this discussion later on, but the show deals with that a little bit on how the existence of Dr. Manhattan, even, was the show, 34 years after the book, affects the culture of our world and some of the belief system of it and it's just it's handled in a way that i find very believable i think that that would absolutely happen i'm uh, i'm kind of surprised that the book doesn't deal with like a cult or something seeing him as as a god maybe that exists it's just not discussed but i i feel like something like that would happen in real life, but who knows? No, I think it's... he
1: touches on that when he talks about the... The, the Viet Cong. Cong yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of that is kind of one of the flotsam and jetsam of all society that he's not going to touch on. He's getting more to the core of everything and letting you come to those realizations and those, those considerations, I think.
0: Quick character discussion, John Osterman, Dr. Manhattan. I feel this need when I'm... And I'll get into more of this in the next chapter. But when I'm talking about characters, I always want to call them by their name, name. Except Rorschach.
1: Get to that more later. Feel like everybody falls into
0: that trap though. (laughs) Because when you first like learn about who they are, you're oh Doctor Manhattan. But then when you read the book, then you realize you see the the human side of all of them, the person side of them, rather than the character side of them. So then they become John, Laurie, Sally. That's what they refer
5: to each other as. Yeah, Yeah. which I
0: actually kind of like too. Superheroes at work, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dan, good one. (laughs) Hanging around the water cooler.
0: (laughs) So to me, he's John is one of the most complex characters of the book just because i feel that because he's losing touch with humanity and with just human feelings and in general but also like we talked about he is a puppet in more ways than one he does say that later but he is he was always a puppet because he he did like you said went to princeton because he wanted to be a watchmaker and then his dad was like nope and he was like okay i'm gonna do what my dad wants and he went and he did that and he just became a uh a government symbol because the government wanted him to and he took the name because the government or the marketing guys wanted him to and he's just kind of, despite being extremely powerful, he does seem in some ways like he is very easy to control he's, to a certain
5: extent. He's extremely powerful
1: but very powerless.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's part of what makes him interesting too.
1: The other thing I like about him not even about him but about Moore's use of him is when you have this um, spectrum of characters covering a whole variety of, of characteristics and, and social strategies and whatever i feel like john is the because he's pulled away from humanity he's that neutral viewpoint he's the reader's viewpoint he's our lens to view everybody else through from a distance
2: at least a more trustworthy viewpoint than Rorschach. (laughs) (laughs) like
1: who isn't though
2: (laughs) we meet wally weaver first mention
0: of him is back in chapter three when we learned that he was referred to as director manhattan's buddy and that, that's oh, with What with a
1: name like that?
0: <laughs> and that he had died of cancer, possibly because of exposure to John. He's a research assistant at Gila Flats. He is present when John is trapped in the machine and destroyed. Yeah, so Wally stayed. Janie. <laughs> <laughs> Look
1: where that got him.
0: <laughs> He's also present when Dr. Manhattan returns. We meet Janie Slater, a woman. What the hell does she do at Gila Flats? It never says. I don't know if she's a research assistant. I don't know if she's another scientist. She wears a lab coat. She's diverse. Doesn't it say a, a girl scientist? There.
3: Is she a scientist? I thought it said that I went somewhere. back and I yeah, couldn't find... I might find, have just
0: assumed. I couldn't find <laughs> reference to what she actually does. I'm not sure if... She's there to stand and look pretty.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she's in a lab coat. But anyway, she works there at Gila Flats with him. And she's the one who initiates their relationship, I think, also further example of John not really being the one to, uh, to take initiative. She's the one who buys him a drink, and she's the one who kind of initiates the relationship. Uh, she's present when he's locked in the machine, but she can't bring herself to watch him die, so she leaves. She is also present when he reappears, which is kind of a weird scene, because I think it's two months later and she and Wally are just eating lunch in the cafeteria. Just, just kicking it. coming yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out. They have to pay the bills, Esther. That's I true. I know. She has <laughs> to go back to work
3: eventually. They were
5: literally just vibing in that, in that lunchroom, and suddenly a bee <laughs> Penis appeared in their face.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't see this on the menu. I'm
4: not, I don't want it to be actually that nitpicky about it, but like, how in the fuck does she know
1: that that's John?
3: Like, <laughs> <because> she <laughs> knows that penis. There you go.
1: Oh. There you go. That's why she was the only one in the room that knew who it was. I know that penis. <laughs> I wonder if his face
0: is the same, look, I guess. Look I where he like, was floating. Sure? She
1: wasn't looking at his face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was
1: dead on. Like, dies like to nuts. She was dong level that whole time.
0: I feel like if you shaved your head and... Painted your entire body blue and walked into the room, I would totally know it was you.
1: Yeah, right, you especially yourself, if I wiggled my penis it. in your face.
0: <laughs> that's true love. I don't
3: know what that's you're talking right. about. That's right. Do you feel, do you feel like love? that's reflected
1: in the way that he's And if you true. couldn't, we need to work on that.
4: <laughs> that that is human. Well, I know form what you guys are doing this weekend. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, no, it's, it's it's fine. I was just saying though, like, do you feel like that's depicted in the way that he's drawn as a human? That if you were to apply those changes that Esther just said, that it looks like to me he it seems, does,
0: he it, seems buffer as yeah. Doctor Manhattan. He,
4: gets, he got true. totally shredded. I,
0: <laughs> I feel like he uh, he definitely um, enhanced some stuff. Yeah. Not everything, though. Actually, now that I have brought that up... <laughs> Now not that, that I, you've opened the door, Esther. I mean, okay,
5: so I was gonna, like, just be like, you know what, it's probably not worth it, but now that you bring that up, I, when, when you are flipping, I was flipping through, I think you were, uh, there's, like, the picture or the panel of him, like, in front of all the people yeah. when he's in the thong, and I was like, damn, Manhattan got cake? Like, he got that dump truck, It's
2: like... <laughs> the one, like, yeah, right there. Right here, yeah. Yeah, yeah in front got... of all the people, and then she says Jesus right below him.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like, Jesus, <laughs> that fucking donk...
3: <laughs> to solve my own. See, I noticed it more when he was hovering naked on Mars, but.
4: <laughs> to, to solve my own thing that I, I had brought up. I, I actually now i am looking at a panel when he's about to die and realizes it... that he's trapped in the thing. He has this expression that kind of actually looks the same as when he was in the uh, the news interview and all the reporters were asking oh, him the cancer yells. questions and he yells. He kind of has that same I think expression. His, I
0: think his face is the same. Mm. And, and maybe just because she knew him so well, I guess. And his penis. And, yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, I know that. I've seen you before. So, after he returns, uh, Janie and John stay together. I mean, their relationship suffers. They stay together for seven years total. Lori, aka Silk Spectre 2, she's 16 when she meets and begins a relationship with John. She's with John for almost 20 years and leaves only when she can't handle the strain of his distance, his distraction, and the isolation she feels in their life together. She's also very sensitive as to what she is to him or how, and how people view her role in their relationship. I know that her mother makes a comment about
1: her basically being there to... Something like relieve his tension or... she's or... yeah. yeah. his fluffer. Yes. yes, yes. But exactly. I don't I don't In think that's actually true.
0: I do think that their relationship is a true relationship, but she is very sensitive to the way she's viewed and I think she is just viewed as like a
1: Well, it keys into exactly what she hated about her hero career. The well, sexual maybe of she
3: it. has some doubts, like she's afraid that that's all she is and she wants it to be yes. more. Yes. Yeah. I don't
0: know. I don't know why I'm defensive about Lori. <clears throat> I like Lori. So <laughs> I'm defensive about her like no, she's so much more than that. She's not just a <laughs> Dr. Manhattan groupie. I swear. <laughs> Hollis Mason, Night Owl 1. Poor Hollis, he's on his way out. He's becoming obsolete, just like uh, the cars he repairs. He feels obsolete for the one-two punch of being replaced as a hero by a man with real superpowers and the threat that even his retirement repairing cars will be affected by the arrival of electric cars. Edward Blake, the comedian, described by John as deliberately amoral. And he revels in the madness and the violence of the Vietnam War. Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias, retires from hero work to focus on his merchandise empire. He is so wealthy that he has a retreat in Antarctica where he lives with a genetically altered lynx.
1: I see a Hollis Mason could have taken some notes there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you know. don't retire to become like a mechanic. You start your own line of merchandise. That's yes. honestly how I'm trying to be just
5: locked away in Antarctica with a sick-ass cat and just, like, <laughs> live completely isolated from everybody else. And a bunch Tons of, of money. a
2: bunch of action figures of yourself.
5: Of course anatomically correct
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dan Dryberg, Night Owl 2 took the mantle from Hollis Mason but will retire without revealing his true identity to the public and obviously as we know becomes it definitely has some regrets about that cause he's a bitch <laughs> <laughs> and Rorschach will not retire will not reveal his identity uh, even his fellow masked heroes don't know who he truly is dot um, dot dot uh, my final thoughts on this chapter chapter 4 is an incredible chapter that elevates the medium itself to a new level uh, the storytelling in this chapter is brilliant, and it remains my favorite chapter, even after multiple readings.
1: Yeah, I think that's hands down. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant chapter, and I love it. It does a
5: really good job of fleshing out the world it exists too. It does, it's so multi multifaceted. Well, while we're learning about Dr. Manhattan... Well, we're also learning about the other superheroes, what's going on there too. And we also get the scene with the Crimebusters and why that was pivotal and superheroes almost becoming obsolete and why the Keen Act kind of had to be a real thing. I kind of love that it's just so incredibly complex for what this story already is it's yeah. already a crazily complex comic book but this is just the icing on the cake
0: well, the details to make it just seem more realistic i yeah. feel like a lot of the things in here are almost like speculative fiction and you're reading it okay so this could be this could be a real thing if i mean if superheroes were real if this was you know this is all handled in a very believable way
5: for me this is the first instance of if superheroes were real that really put the time and effort into it oh what really would happen if we had a superman what would really happen if we had a bunch of people running around punching dudes in the face for (laughs) fighting you know (laughs) committing crimes what is the real ramifications of that and this chapter really does a great job of kind of nailing that down
0: agreed perfect and we will end on that that's it for chapter four Say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, good night, night,
1: everybody. Everybody. Good night mom.